Welcome to the Maria Heller Show, on the net since 2000 and still going strong. If you feel like you're not getting the real news, if you feel like you're not connected spiritually, you have found your home. Maria covers a wide range of topics as only a snarky New Yorker can. Straight up, no chaser. No censorship, no corporate sponsors, thus true freedom of speech. Your subscription gives you unlimited access as a member of the smartest audience on earth. Relax and enjoy the education. Now here's Maria. Good morning world. Maria here, alive and kick, and welcome to the show. I have a special guest with me today. Uh, her name is Dr. Sharice Johnson. She's a veteran psychotherapist, a mindfulness practitioner, whose work focuses on the intersection of trauma, somatic integration, spirituality, and social justice. She's also the founder of Jade Integrative Counseling and Wellness, which is an, an integrative therapy practice where personal values, the search for meaning, and the power of choice are the central focus. She holds a BA in Human Development and Family Studies, an MA in Professional Counseling, and a PhD in Counseling Psychology with a concentration in crisis and trauma. She's also an author uh, who has authored uh, a wonderful book. I'm trying to find the, the, the title of it. I know I have it here. Uh, let's see. Hold on a second. Expired Mindsets, Releasing Patterns That No Longer Serve You Well. Uh, but today, Sharice was kind enough to come on the show and talk about police brutality. So I'm very happy to have her on the show. Good morning, Sharice. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay in this crazy world. How are you doing? Same. Doing the best I can, considering it all. All right. You know, uh, I've been covering these murders, and there's no other way to call them, these murders of black Americans for probably the whole 23 years I've been doing this show. Uh, and, you know, I used to have time to really take apart each story. But because the time seemed to have uh, killed more and more people so quickly, that it's almost impossible to really fully cover what's happened and what continues to happen uh, to black, not just men, but women, in America, you know, uh, Sandra Bland, Eric Gardner, George Floyd, I mean, the Breonna Taylor, Tyree Nichols, the list goes on and on. Uh, and I know that you are a woman of color, so your feelings might be a little different than mine. Uh, and I don't know if you're a mom or a grandmother, which I am. I'm when, a mom. Okay, so when I see these stories, I react from a mother and a grandmother's perspective. And it's extremely difficult for me to even watch these videos, let alone hear these young people at their last moments crying out for their mothers. Yeah, I definitely react as a mom first, and then I go into therapist, all that jazz mode. But I'm a mom of two children, two young adult children, a young adult daughter and a young adult son. So you can imagine that as a mother of a black male, these stories hit me in another way and on a deeper level because I recognize that at any given moment, that could be my child. Exactly. And that is something that, you know, being not a woman of color, although I am Italian, uh, <laughs> I don't have to worry about 
my children or my grandchildren being attacked or assaulted or murdered uh, by a cop just because, you know, just because they're walking down the street. Like, my son can go out and wear a hoodie and nothing's going to happen to him. Right. Whereas we live in situations where these are lessons that we teach our children when they're small. When my son was a toddler at three or four, it was crucial for me to help him understand you have to move differently. You can do the same thing that somebody else does and you may get into more trouble. And then as he's gotten older, we do have to be more particular around him understanding in one setting you could wear that hoodie and with people who know you, it won't be an issue. They know your character, but when you're not around those people, that can change very quickly. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, I... I was I was so curious. I decided to look up this morning uh, just how many black people were murdered by police in this country just since George Floyd's murder. And the figure is astounding. And who knows if we could even trust the figure. It's probably low. Came out to 229. Wow. Since and George that's Floyd. That we know of, right? That we know of. That's what I'm saying. And if I am going to post a live link in today's show, so the because they listed the names of all 229 in the article I found on Newsweek. Uh, but one thing is for sure: when this happened with Tyree, which we've seen over and over again, uh, and he called out for his mother. Every mother in this country, regardless of what color they are, felt that call. Very much so. And I I even thought when I heard the audio, I did not watch the video because I know better, but when I heard the audio clip of that part, my heart was crushed. And that's, that's unfathomable. You don't ever want to imagine that your child is going through something like that. I don't care how old they are and you're unaware and there's nothing that you can do. That's, that's just a level of distress that is unimaginable. Absolutely. And then I think to myself, you know, it's a good thing that we have people shooting these videos. But on the other hand, if I was the mother of one of those children, I don't think I could ever watch it. No, but, you know, they're in such a tough situation, right? They would be completely disconnect from everything that's happening for that video not to come across their screen in some form or fashion and that's what makes it even more re-traumatizing mm-hmm. well yeah i mean i've always known that mothers of black children or mixed children or whoever the race is that you know is hated currently in america muslim whatever uh have to raise their children differently than you know white people who you know have to just teach their kids about school shootings uh, so I, I don't know, I don't even know what kind of answer there is because this crap's been going on since, as for long as I've been alive and longer than that. Yeah, uh, for sure. But one thing that is absolutely necessary is we need to get to the point where they're no longer rebroadcasting the videos, right? So videos serve a purpose in the sense of They've opened our eyes to the fact that these kinds of things are still existing much more rampant than we may have thought. Right. And taking videos and giving everyone access to replay them and splice them 
it's it's too much. And like you said at the beginning of the show, with the number of murders that are happening over and over again, it, it's creating a really harsh climate that we can't get away from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, it, we have so many different divides in this country. You know, color, religion, uh, class, class warfare. Uh, this can either educate people to what's going on or it can rally the racist even more than they are. Yeah. Well, it, it changes the way that we trust. It makes it very difficult. You know, that was one thing that we experienced in my home specifically during the time of the pandemic, the last election, high rate, you know, racial outpouring happening all at the same time. I have two students in college situations that I'm also having to work with them to recognize the magnitude of what's happening and find this balance between we've raised them in a very eclectic environment. We have friends of all different colors, nationalities, shapes, classes. But when you have those things happen over and over again, for young adults especially, it also makes them question, well, how can I trust these relationships? You know, and you have to work to keep your children from going to the place of, all of one person is this way or that way, but when we see too many of those images, that's part of what happens. We all begin to see our black men. We all begin to think that all cops are this or all cops are that because the message is distorted. Right, right. Well, I could understand that, but I surely don't believe in the uh, one bad apple theory. Exactly. Uh, that's ridiculous because this just continues to go on and on and on. You know, throughout the country, there's like, they want us to believe that nowhere is safe on so many levels. Um, and, you know, as I reported on my show, especially the police in uh, Missouri where Tyree was murdered, uh, they've all been trained by Israel. And it's always communities of color that pay the price. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that, but when you look at what Israel has done and continues to do to the Palestinians, you know, as uh, their idea of protect and serve, and we send our police over to learn from these people, they come back and do the same thing. I don't re recall which black man was shot, but one thing I remember the police chief said, and these were his words, they did what they're trained to do. And the challenge to that, I've definitely had situations throughout the course of my life, whether on a personal or professional level, where I've been able to sit down with police officers and have some really great and open conversation. And the challenge is, in the American culture, because I can't speak to others, police officers are trained to shoot to kill, right? However, we also see a lot of discrepancies around that. We see people that go through similar situations and then based on their color or their fluency, they are treated differently in, in one situation than another. But even though we may go to other countries and cross-train, what's important is to understand the context of what's happening in our country and recognize that the way that we've done things is, it, it didn't ever work. I don't believe it ever worked. Right. But it definitely is not working right now. Oh, that's for sure. You know, I had a story, you might not have seen it, that I reported last week on my show about a white 
kid. He was a, a Trump fan. His father is a Utah lawmaker. The police arrested his white son. This happened in Utah. And he wanted to see the warrant. Then he started cursing the police, uh, asking to see the warrant, saying, oh, it can't be right. They said, oh, we do indeed have a warrant, and it's valid, and they showed it to him. Then he continued to curse out the police. Uh, at no time during this exchange was he or his son put in a chokehold or thrown on the floor or automatically shot. Uh, and it was a warrant. Uh, the, you know, his son obviously had missed uh, required classes for his probation. Uh, and, uh, you know, after all was said and done, his father, the lawmaker, admitted his behavior was inappropriate. And I looked at that story as I was reading it. I was like going into a state of shock. How can you look at that and not see how differently white felons are treated in this country? Uh, and even the father getting away with the way that he attacked the police verbally with every curse word in the books... And I just try to imagine if that was George Floyd or if that was, you know, uh, Eric Gardner, you know, who immediately said, you know, I can't breathe. That's the, he basically started the I can't breathe. They didn't, they didn't look at them as humans. They didn't look at them as family members, even Tyree with his cute little four-year-old. Um, they just immediately decide to go crazy. And that's yeah. what those cops did. That kind of latitude isn't given. So no one can imagine a situation where you're going to have the opportunity to then show that you're upset or that you're angry or something has been wrongfully done the moment you don't comply. And in some cases, people have been murdered even when they did comply. Right. Even when they I am surrendered. I don't have anything on me. I am fully here. There's a level of aggression that switches off because that's been the narrative that has been replayed over and over. And it puts every black man walking around America as a threat. And then that threat does carry into other countries because they watch this as well. Right, right. But, I mean, when you look at Tyree... You know, how much more complying did they expect him to do when they already had him down on the floor and they're screaming for him to get down on the floor? He's already on the floor. Uh, and in so many of these instances, you know, uh, I think about Sandra Bland, who ooh, mysteriously died in jail after her arrest. Uh, or you think about, you know, how many times they do these no-knock warrants like Breonna Taylor and just go in and kill everybody. Uh, you know, people in this country are still under the impression that police still go by protect and serve, but that went away a long time ago. Now they're law enforcement officers. And are they genuinely enforcing law? Obviously not. Are in, supposed to support the protection of everyone. The goal is if there's a situation that's causing stress is to get it to a place that's manageable. A person is supposed to stay alive long enough to actually go on trial or to see if there's enough evidence that something has occurred or to defuse a situation versus an immediate decision that escalates in the loss of life. And the sad part is it has become 
so common that although most of us may feel hurt by it, there's still not much changing. Oh no, I, I haven't seen anything change since I was a kid and that was a long time ago. Uh, the other thing, when you look at Tyree, uh, there's, there were a couple of things that I was truly surprised about. Uh, first of all, how quick they got fired and how quick they got indicted and also how quick they got out on bail. You know, when I think about how quickly they were fired, this is my opinion, just clinically looking at different cases that I've seen over the years, there's been a consistent outcry regarding when an officer does something wrong, knowing that it's been committed and they're not being balanced to what happens to them in terms of whether they've been fired or jail time. And our system is very aware of that. This became a situation to say, oh, well, we can move swiftly and move quickly in order to make something happen. But there are some tricky undertones in the fact that why do those kind of decisions happen so quickly when they're black officers, but we do not see the same track record when they're white officers. Right. Oh, well, that's what was my first thought, too. I was like, okay, if these guys were white, how quick would this have happened? Uh, and then you had people who wanted to say, you know, uh, you know, that go back to that old black-on-black -black crime uh, crap. Uh, and to me, I've listened to some other experts, and they say that it's still because they were part of that Scorpion Squad, which were basically marauding uh, people that just assaulted people in their district. Um, and, and you look at that, uh, to me, I always say to my audience, when I do have the rare, the rare uh, information that the cop was indicted, I remind my audience, indicted doesn't mean convicted. Accurate, and a lot of people don't know that nuance. And, you know, when you talk about the Scorpion crew, yeah, it shows a systemic problem. In essence, there's still a pervasive belief somewhere throughout our police system where various individuals feel above the law or feel that the way that they are engaging is okay. Right. And that there's nothing wrong with it and that they have the latitude to do it regardless of their color, so that shows that there's an issue everywhere, but then how it's handled from that point mm -hmm. comes different depending upon who they are. So then we have a double standard even within the Hello? I think I yes. just, oh, I thought I lost you. I got a little click on the phone. Uh, nope. Well, you know, a lot of experts are calling it, you know, not the, you know, the difference between black and white officers. They said it's pervasive. It's the police culture. So it didn't matter whether these police were black or white. It's their training that makes them, I don't know, I want to say psychotic, uh, to do the things they do to other human beings. I would agree that the police culture is in need of an overhaul. Let's look at it from the health aspect as well. You know, we're talking about what it's like on this side of the screen to see images 
video of different people being killed as it happens. Police officers are on site every day for days and weeks and months and years at a time. And there's a level of desensitization that they have to put in place in order to do their job. They literally have to disconnect from seeing everyone as human so that they can make these split-second decisions. That's how they're trained. You can't think about the fact of, it's a kid. Right. So this is the situation. Bring them down immediately. And yet, along the same line, if a police officer or a first responder for that matter communicates any level of mental health challenges or struggle, they're sidelined from being out in the field, which may be necessary, but then that impacts them financially. So we have several. There's no doubt, even without me knowing the current stats in this moment, there are thousands of police officers right now walking around with complex PTSD, their own trauma narratives, their own mental health issues that have been dismissed and minimized because they need to stay in their role, they need to continue to provide for their families, or it's been overlooked and used because of their role and position in their department. Right. And then they wonder why, you know, they're having a shortage of people applying to be police. Yeah. I, I mean, their their reputation is so disgusting. And you look at, you know, California, the L.A. Police Department. You look at New York's police department. They literally are small armies. They are. And, you know, living here in Arizona, um, you know, if you're black, you know, I can just tell you from my own experience with my own friends, uh, one of my girlfriends whose son is a, was a superstar in college at ASU, tall, good-looking black kid, uh, you know, they had money, you know, they had some privilege, but every time that kid walked out of his house in Scottsdale, he was followed by a police car. Yes, which goes to show you there genuinely is not a level of privilege that it when you are in a black and brown body. That level might be while you're in college and you're useful, or in certain settings where people know you, but across the board, if it's not something that exists just by the nature of who you are and when you walk out of your house, nice. then it's not there. And I believe that's a challenge and sets a lot of individuals up because you want to believe, right? You, we want our children to believe that they can be good citizens, good people, good individuals, well, be safe and be well, but there's also this aspect of constantly having to keep them informed. I used to tell my kids, and still do, I say used to because they don't live with us anymore, that if you're not in our house, you're on. Which meant you need to be aware at every moment of everything that is happening around you, the people around you that you know, the people around that you don't know, how you're going to be perceived, you know, how people are responding to you as a, as a manner of protection that is a requirement when you're outside of the house. Right. Well, you know, I think about, you know, just take an example, Tyler Perry. How many times has he been pulled over by police? And until they realize it's Tyler Perry, he's getting the same runaround that they give every black person. One black councilman said he was stopped three times in three days 
by the police because he's black, driving while black. Uh, you know, some of the uh, sports figures, same thing. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't understand how you can cheer for these people when they're playing for your team and still pull them over and want to kill them uh, because you don't recognize them when they're out of uniform. The sad thing about that is what it means is in many instances are black and brown men and women being seen as commodities versus human and as community because if you only recognize them and only give a level of respect because they're in a specific set what they accomplished that you wouldn't give if they haven't that's, that's an issue I can't remember who it was but this happened last month there was a famous black actor he's quite a bit older than he was when he was in his prime but he was at a hotel and it was a fairly affluent hotel he's walking into the lobby waiting to meet someone before they head out to dinner and was given a hard time and was told why are you here in our lobby this is only for guests and the police were called and he was furious because essentially they were saying you're a tall, older black man, and we do not believe that you can afford to stay here. You are a threat. We're not going to be nice or ask questions. We're immediately going to call in some level of enforcement. When he was literally just sitting in the lobby on his phone, right. posted about it and, and talked about how infuriating that was. And then once the hotel realized who he was, there was a part of them that wanted to apologize and say we, we want to rectify this situation but there's a lack of training as well in organizations around right. how to respond and well, these kind of narratives. Right. Well then we get to another issue when you look at, let's just talk about Tyree for a, a minute when the EMTs arrived they did absolutely nothing for 19 minutes which is awful and I was happy to hear that they were also let go and just noted as completely negligent. I don't even understand how you can be trained when it comes to saving lives and knowing those minutes are crucial and could make the difference if it being alive right now and did nothing. Right. They just stood around. Well, then you think about George Floyd. And not only did they stand around and do nothing, and then they, they actually pepper sprayed the people that were protesting what the cops were doing. Some of them were hit with batons. Uh, you know, that didn't make it on the news. I have that story for, for my show Thursday. Uh, they don't want to be filmed, but filming cops so far is not a crime in this country. Although they're working on it. Oh, yeah. And then uh, there was some other murders. God, it's so hard to keep track of all of them. Where the police... Oh, I think it was the ones that shot this week. A double amputee. They said he was running away. The guy has no legs. Wow. And I he had supposedly a knife in his hand. None of that's been proven. Uh, and as he tried to get away from them, probably just, you know, pulling, dragging himself across the floor, they killed him. I mean, how do they see a double amputee as a threat that needs to be put down like an animal? 
it sounds like there's no part of it that is fake. And that's part of the issue, is that when these situations occur, somewhere in training, the, the whole concept of thought appears to be lost in translation because there's not being, there's not consideration being given when it comes to certain aspects. And again, I say certain because we do see that white-bodied individuals, unfortunately, do get a different level of thought mm-hmm. without consequence. Right, and just so happened that it was a department that doesn't wear body cams. How convenient. How convenient. So I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I, I grew up, when I was a kid, I used to love to watch all the old Westerns on TV. And one thing I remember about the Westerns is if it was a sheriff or whatever and there's a bad guy, he would shoot him in the leg just to stop him. You know, just shoot him in the leg or, you know, shoot him in the shoulder. Uh, but these cops are trained to kill because they're told that we are the enemy. So they go out there with a military mindset. Which I don't understand why that's necessary. I do recognize in situations where there is strict confirmation that the person that is across from them has a visible weapon pointing in a direction that can cause harm, that is a different dynamic than an individual who they're coming across without having knowledge of what they have. So that seems like a better option in terms of slow this person down. But here's the thing. Most of the people that we can run through in that list of 229 weren't running. No, of course not. They were just trying to have a regular life in America. You know, I think about Trevon Martin, that little kid that got shot with a fake little gun because some do-gooder in the park couldn't tell the difference, called the cops. That kid was shot in less than 11 seconds. He would be 28 years old today. 11 seconds. They didn't do anything. Then I think about Dylan Roof, the white murderer who shot up that black church. When the cops came, they put a bulletproof vest on him and walked him out. He said he was hungry, so they took him to Burger King before they uh, uh, put him in jail. Which is mind-blowing. It's, it, it does blow my mind. You know, it, it's like, okay, you got a little kid playing in the park, minding his own business. Some do-gooder, you know, who's probably scared of his own shadow, decided to say the kid might have a gun, it might be a toy. Uh, but what was the reason for the cops to feel so threatened by an 11-year-old, not even to say anything to him, to just open fire? Yeah. Whereas I also remember some past moments during the insurrection and different riots where there were young men under 18, white-bodied individuals carrying around guns and rifles right. that were around, that were protected, that had the opportunity to communicate what they were doing and given story and given cause. So these are the kind of discrepancies that not only create pain, break trust, hurt our social fabric, but it really reduces what it means to live as a black person. Right, right. I mean, listen, I watched that insurrection at the Capitol. First of all, my first thought was, why aren't they shooting any of these people? 
uh, my second thought was, and I stick by it, if those people were black, it would have been a bloodbath on the Capitol steps. You're absolutely correct. And no one can convince me of anything different. Sharice, we need to take a short break. Stay with us. When we get back, we're going to talk about what can we do not to go crazy over this craziness. So stay with us. We'll be right back. World got you down? Feel like you're lost? Don't know the best direction for your life, whether it's love, money, or purpose? A session with Maria can help you get the clarity you need and the direction you need to live your best life possible. Maria's been doing this professionally for almost 40 years. Why not get the help you need by scheduling a session with Maria today? Check out the link for private consultations with Maria. You'll be glad you did. Subscribers to her show get a $50 discount on either a 15-minute or half-hour session with Maria. Book now. Now back to the show. Okay, welcome back. I'm speaking with Dr. Sharice Johnson. We're talking about America 2023. What's changed since the days of slavery? Uh, just e-racism happening in American history. On, on Black History Month, you've got crazy governors like the fascists in Florida who is erasing, so I call it e-racism. I, I'm, I'm hoping to coin that term. Uh, African-American history because this country should be ashamed of how it was founded. Um, and we're, you know, we're talking about from the days the cops were invented to track down runaway slaves to their behavior today, which to me has gotten worse. Uh, so welcome back. Welcome back to the show, Sharice. During the break, you, I asked you, like I ask all my new guests, how do you like the way the show is going? And my response was, it's phenomenal. It is a breath of fresh air. I've been on a lot of different shows that are attempting to try and touch these topics, but it's a minute here, a minute there. It's very confined. So being able to have this conversation with somebody that doesn't look like me, right? Mm -hmm. But also it's saying, but I see this experience in a similar way. And it's not about being right. It's about being honest. You know, there, nothing that we're saying is just based solely on our opinion. We are stating facts and research and data and experiences that can be tracked. So this is helpful information because you said there is an racism that is occurring. And that's part of how I believe we got here is there hasn't been any level of atonement or shift around we need to be doing things differently and this is where it needs to start and this is how it needs to, to look differently. There's been no attempt to even prepare the historical relationship between law enforcement, people who, yes, went after slaves who were free and wanted to be and they wanted them to be brought back. There's just so much trauma. And that trauma doesn't go away because it turns a new year or it turns a new century. These are some of the exact same issues. They just look different. Right. They actually look worse. And then you have the members of the Congressional Black Caucus who are basically begging the president for a meeting 
so they can talk about restarting the stalled talks on police reform legislation. I mean, how many times do they have to beg to just have a talk? Why aren't they passing the George Floyd Act? Uh, it's just craziness. Great question. And, you know, there's a lot of data out there for people who have paid attention or studied. There's a lot of merit to what's being suggested or recommended in the Police Reform Act. We spend, as a country, millions and billions of dollars on what we say is training to help shift the way things are going or special equipment to help protect certain dynamics, even though that special equipment is needed for those that are doing the damage, it's, it's needed for those of us walking around the street, but the conversations that matter are being delayed and paused and caught up in red tape more and more and more. Right, and, and then they do the same thing. They take one bad cop, they disappear him for a while, make it look like they punished him and put him in another department or he'll go to another state. They moved them around like the Pope moves around as pedophile priests. Yeah. Uh, and then you talk about the cost of training, et cetera, et cetera. But how about the cost in lawsuits? Okay, taxpayers are paying billions of dollars every year for the lawsuits against these violent cops. Uh, and they don't realize that money could be used to good to be for better things like education, God forbid. Uh, and you look at, to me, I have a one solution. The cops should have to pay these lawsuits out of their own pockets or out of their police union. Because if it actually costs them something on some level, they might hold back the next time. I do agree that some level of consequence that matters is going to be effective. Because right now, there isn't one there's still that attitude and reality of I am untouchable and here's the worst that can happen. I might get a slap on the hand. We see it happen on all different levels where people do egregious things and depending upon what body type individual they are, specifically if they are a white body, cisgender individual, they're going to be protected and put in another situation. They're not going to be made to suffer or some blanket letter comes out right. saying so bad about this. But, you know, there's work for that. That's called performative empathy. It's that whole dynamic of putting something out there to appear that listening, um, you're being seen, you're being heard, but there's not actually any change occurring. No, I mean, these stories, like I started the show, these stories have become so many. I can't keep track of them, and I've been pretty damn good keeping track of this stuff for, you know, 20-something years. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, you know, who's next? I saw a story today, another one I have for uh, Thursday's show. A 12-year-old girl, a cop had his boot on her neck in the classroom, and now the family is suing. I did see that one, and it was unbelievable you know see it meaning saw a picture and then read the information about it it's it's unreal and it's going to be so important for us to work hard to know that these things are here and and we do need to be aware and we all 
I would hope take as much of an active stance as possible and then find the balance to being able to protect yourself so that it doesn't tear you down because it can. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can empathize, but I certainly can't understand the same way you do as a black woman. Okay, I'm not one of those people that's going to say, oh, yeah, I know how you feel. No, I don't, because my children can walk freely. They can drive freely. They can have a car accident and walk away alive. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's something that's very difficult for me to even put my head in that space of what parents go through. Yeah. Uh, you know. And as well. Yeah. It, it really is when there's no rhyme or reason. It's a very painful experience and it's very exhausting because it requires you to introduce your child to topics and conversations and not that you're trying to hide anything from them, but you know, you have this balance where you want your children to feel comfortable and supported and enjoy life and then at the same time you have to give them all of this information to prepare right. for themselves to be able to defend themselves at the same time. So it's like a tug of war. Right. Well, you know, one of the things white parents teach their children from when they're little, I didn't because I'm Italian and I grew up in New York and I knew better, okay, was if you're ever in trouble or you're lost or whatever, go find a cop. Yeah. That's something I'm sure you can't tell your children. I wouldn't if I were you. I didn't, I didn't with my own because, you know, I grew up in a rough neighborhood and it didn't matter what color you are. If you got pinched by the cops, you were getting a beating. That was the way it was. Yeah. I saw, you know, we gave the cop a hundred bucks if he pulled us over for a traffic violation and we got to go on our way. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, you, the days you could pay off judges, which I'm sure they still do probably even more today than yesterday. Uh, so for me, I never really had much respect for the boys in blue, uh, and I still don't. And I'm white, uh, well, somewhat white. You know, a lot of Americans don't realize if you know it's probably more eracism. But when Italians came to this country, their their papers were stamped non-white, so we could only get the same jobs that blacks could get in this country. But a lot of people don't know that history. They don't know Italians were thrown into internment camps. All they hear about is the Japanese going in internment camps. Which is part of the challenge that you're talking about with the eracism. If we're allowed as a country to erase one culture, one you know, line of stories, then that begins a trend. And then before long, we're not living in reality. We're all walking around in a fantasy. And not everybody's sharing that same fantasy. But that's what happened. It's a way, when we try to erase something, basically we're trying to distance ourselves from the responsibility. We're trying to distance ourselves from shame. And if we have a desire to erase something, is that not an admission of guilt? Of course. Look how we erased totally Native American history. You know, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. I am not going to celebrate the slaughter of at least nine million beautiful people. Uh, everything we've been taught was a lie in school. So now even the lies will be gone. And maybe somewhere along the line they might unban Howard Zinn's book on the true history of America. Maybe. I, I doubt it. You know, my father was the product of 
an indigenous woman and a freed slave. He was born in a cornfield in Georgia. So I share both sides of mm. what you're just described in terms of what's happening to the indigenous individuals as well as what we experience being as a part of the African diaspora. And it's very intricate, and I, I see it, and I experience it. Right. And it's it's hard. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, listen, these are the things I've been trying and doing, teaching people real history, real history, you know, of the Native Americans all the way through uh, till today. Uh, and something has got to change. But when you look at the media, especially social media, it's like every day they put up a post to piss you off and tell you this is what you're going to be angry about today. This is yeah. the target, okay? Uh, how do you keep your mental health in all this? It's important to filter the sources that you look at when you are on mental or on social media. You want to make sure that you're on sources that are going to be honest and accurate, which means you have to do your own research. Mm -hmm. I'm a proponent of listening to things like this, like podcasts, or news stories that are not geared towards one side or the other, and we also have to recognize there are other ways to find out the information that we need and to make sure that we're informed on truth that don't require us to be inundated and overwhelmed by social media because there's a lot of propaganda there. There's a lot of coercion in media that even if you know truth, if you're not doing your own homework and balancing how much time you're spending in certain areas, then you'll find yourself kind of being confused by what's truth because you've been overwhelmed and inundated by messages that contradict truth because it's let's create a spark and then let's do something to make it seem like that spark isn't a big deal or that there was a reason that justifies why this person was murdered or a reason that justifies, you know, why this was burned and, and that creates a definite conflict. Right. So I just want to take a short little break for people listening at Gary Knowles Network. Uh, the author's website is www.drcharrysse.com, drcharrysse.com. Uh, for everybody else, the live link is right here on my site. And for you guys over at uh, Gary Knoll's uh, website, you always can come over to mine and, and just use the link here. Uh, and remember, her book is called Expired Mindsets, Releasing Patterns That No Longer Serve You Well. And I think that's basically been the topic of today's show, Sharice. Very Be much so. Because Very much. the patterns just in... in I call it class warfare. Uh, if they can keep, I think it was Eisenhower, uh, maybe Eisenhower, maybe Lyndon Johnson, who said if you can keep white people uh, hating the black people, uh, you know, they could basically get away with murder. You know, not pay attention. People just don't want to pay attention to what's going on behind the scenes. You got to, to convince them that some the next person is lower than you are. Dehumanize them in some way. That's how we always uh, go to war in this country. We have to demonize or 
compare another race of people to some specific animal, whether it was Vietnam or the Japanese or whatever, uh, the dehumanization begins. You know, I think that uh, George Carlin had the right idea. He, he, <laughs> some people might find it offensive. I think it's a perfect solution. George Carlin said in one of his skits that the way to end racism is in this country was for everybody to have sex with everybody else. We all end up the same color. <laughs> that is funny. That is very, very funny. Well, but you know, keeping your sense of humor is so important in these days because everything out there is con- is constructed to give us mental damage. There's no no other way around it. Very true. You have to keep laughing. You have to keep loving and know that even though there's a lot of awful things that are happening, there are still a lot of good people like yourself, like Gary, and like so many that are out in the world. Well, you know, it just, look, I, I call it the way I see it. Like I, I've mentioned before, I was raised by Italians. My parents always encouraged us to speak our truth, to speak our feelings, uh, and to always uh, investigate everything, especially government, okay? My father just, that was his thing. You know, question everything he said, especially authority. Uh, and I don't know, you know, I think about it now, you know, my parents have been gone for, you know, 30 years. What would my, I, and when I see these stories and I see certain things on TV, I say, wow, what would my parents think looking at this? That's a good question. What do you think they would think? I think my mother for sure would be in a state of shock and she would lose her voice and the next thing she'd do is start vomiting for hours because that's how my mother reacted to this type of thing. Yeah. My father would go on some kind of religious hell-bent tear and, 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 and just be wild. He would just get wild. Okay. Uh, like I said, we never, uh, it was never an issue in our house. It was probably an issue for our Jewish neighbors to see so many black people in, on their block. Uh, and that was at a time when blockbusting was happening, which, you know, you look fairly young, so you may not remember what that was. Uh, I not when that was occurring, but I am familiar, yes, with what it is. Well, I was. And when my father bought his house, his first house, it was in East New York, Brooklyn, uh, the whole block the whole neighborhood was Jewish. We never, we never even knew any Jewish people till we moved there because we lived down by the docks before that. Uh, and they all came up. We thought it was like a welcome to the neighborhood thing. They all came up to my dad's front steps. We thought it was, oh, look, friendly neighbors. And they told us that everybody on the block had a pack not to sell to blacks. Wow. And they wanted my father to agree to that. Well, needless to say, I don't need to repeat what came out of my father's mouth to those people. Uh, but you know what? It immediately put us at odds with our neighbors. Yeah. And, and it, the, the kicker was they were the ones to sell first. <laughs> that was the craziest part. And truthfully, the neighborhood improved. To me, it improved. I was about 17 at the time. And I preferred living with minorities to living with uh, the Jewish people who were so closed down to actually come and say something like that to somebody who just moved in the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, but, but, I mean, I, the only way a black person could get a house in those days was through blockbusting. I mean, it was sad and sickening what went on. 
it is very sad. Very, very sad. Well, but even today, you know, black people get charged more for their mortgage. Uh, I read the story about the black couple at a beautiful home. They took all their family pictures down, put in a white couple uh, to try to sell it. They put up pictures of white people. They got more money when people thought the house was owned by white people than black people. Yeah, the appraisal value, I remember that story was like $20,000, maybe more different in, in that dynamic, which, again, just speaks to the point of we have a deep-rooted problem that we all can help change if we're willing to work at it. Well, and if people are truly saying that they're spiritual and living their spiritual lives, they need to also understand that we're all the same and we are all one. But that's a concept. You're not going to see major religions. Even if they do teach it, they don't believe it. But that's story for another day, doll. I can't believe this hour flew so fast. I truly enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. This was great. It was refreshing. I feel like I owe you for a session. It was so good. <laughs> that's okay. Um, anyway, uh, hang on the line for a minute. I'm just going to wrap up. Okay, so any of you out there have any great ideas, we're always welcome. You know, you're always welcome to share them. Send it to me in an email. Uh, if you want to share this file with your friends, what you learned today, I know you all do because I have the best audience out there. And I want to say a big thank you again to Dr. Sharice Johnson for joining us today. And I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening and supporting The Maria Show. Tell others what you learned today. Knowledge becomes wisdom only when it's shared. Encourage others to subscribe today. www.maria.net Often imitated, never duplicated. A world of information all in one place. www.maria.net Always ahead of the curve. Always on your side. Get active or get radioactive. Subscribe today.